If you haven't tuned into one of our podcasts before, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. My name is Paul Kern, and with my amazing co-host, the fantastic Claire Murray, we're going to be looking at how to get a fatigued patient and turn them around to a person that is flourishing and making the most of life. Well, that's our intention anyway. Welcome, Claire. Hello. That just sounds fantastic, doesn't it? From fatigue to just flourishing. I just, flourishing. you know, tell me. <laughs> I will do it as well. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> Perhaps it almost seems as if I've oversimplified it, but of course we we don't have forever in podcasts. Uh, we have a lot of information uh, to go through, and let's be honest, you know, everyone wants I'll call it a relatively quick fix, and I think that's the thing, especially when there is fatigue. Sometimes it can take a while if we don't hit those key points and the key drivers of fatigue can take a while to get people actually better. How many patients would you say you sort of see? in a usual week, month, whatever, where fatigue plays a role in, in their presentation, Claire? I feel like it's rarer to get a patient who says they aren't fatigued. Mm. Like I feel like, mm. you know, when you ask your patient, do you wake refreshed? Mm -hmm. I just feel like most people say no, you know, mm -hmm. even if they're sleeping through the night. Like I think modern life's just a bit, it's a lot. Mm. <laughs> it fatigues people. Like I um, mm. I had a family member do that kind of classic thing where they're like, oh, I'm just feeling way more tired than normal. They're like a young mm. person in their 20s, go to the doctor, mm -hmm. get the usual gamut of tests done, and then the yep. doctor does the whole spiel of like, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, my, my family member sitting there being like, but I don't feel okay. Mm. And it's just this fatigue, right? Like, you don't have to be diagnosed with a health condition to have it. It's so mm. common and it mm -hmm. exists in this kind of grey subclinical space that mm -hmm. we are so good at helping patients with mm -hmm. but medicine mm. struggles a bit more with. So I you know, yep. some that ought to say, like, I think it's very common and I think we deal with it a lot. Mm. Oh, look, I, I know from my own patients, you know, I'll often ask people, I always ask them to grade their energy levels out of 10. And you know what? The vast, if, if I had to pick a number, I think obviously you've got those really fatigued patients who are really sick and, you know, they're, they're a 2 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10. But then there's the others who probably really aren't ever topping out much above a 6. Mm. And there's the mm -hmm. odd one who goes, oh, 7 or 8, you, you know, depending on what you're treating. But, mm. yeah, look, it's, it's absolutely something um, that is there. And, you know, everyone, even if they don't say it's their primary complaint, they actually all want some level of, um, of I guess, support support with that. So, look, today we want to try and talk, try to make it so simple that we can take <laughs> them from fatigue to flourishing. Um, and, you know, I, I do think, though, because there can be apparently a lot of different reasons that it's not always that easy to move people from fatigue to flourishing. Um, once again, we, we, we see different people, different illnesses. Is that what you find or is there some magic secret that Claire has <laughs> that helps people go from uh, fatigue to flourishing? Well, I think you're right at what you were saying before and that there's a lot of different reasons why someone can get mm -hmm. fatigued. And you're right, you can see a very unwell person and, you know, there could be a lot mm -hmm. of 
various reasons why that can happen depending what they're exposed to. I think I suppose what you were kind of alluding to is that we're kind of looking at more of a, like I said before, modern life is, you know, it's fatiguing for people. Like we're looking a bit more of a stress-induced fatigue here, aren't we? So we're more kind of putting on that hat going if someone is coming into us and they're living the normal life or they're experiencing stress or they're experiencing, you know, anxiety or, you know, something of that kin, Mm -hmm. what can we be doing to kind of help that Mm -hmm. patient to go from Mm -hmm. fatigue to flourishing? So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, what if we kind of put that hat on, like do Mm -hmm. you have any go-to strategies for our fatigued patients from that perspective? Absolutely. Look, and I guess it's really from looking at the data and the research over, you know, five years, 10 years, you know, you you can often find, I'll say, a bit of a theme uh, and also good data. And, and, you know, it's very interesting that magnesium, and I know we often think of magnesium for people who have muscle cramps or musculoskeletal problems, but honestly, when it comes to fatigue, I do think magnesium is so important and I will say I have a certain number of patients who are probably in their 70s and beyond and I've been absolutely amazed because they're relatively fit they're relatively healthy if you ask them what prescribed meds are you on they're, they're not on antihypertensives or statins mm. but they just in themselves they say oh look I'm not sure if I'm just getting old but I just feel fatigued and what I've absolutely found with those patients is magnesium but it's the data it was by looking at these studies that really sort of got me thinking about this. And I think the first thing we can probably assume, you know, you've said a few times, you know, modern life, fatigue, well, it's part of modern life. Something also that I think is part of modern life is stress. And it can be either acute stress and it can be caused by um, just your day running behind time and some people get a bit more, I'll say, anxious or stressed about having to be places and do things, you know, I certainly know uh, parents who have young kids, for example, don't like picking them up late from daycare. There's nothing worse than being mm. bad mum or bad dad, neither for getting your kid or getting there 20 minutes late. <laughs> but, but all of these things actually create a stress response for us. And so the data on magnesium is, though, that when our adrenals fire, when we have this increase in catecholamines, and remember, stress can occur for a whole range of reasons, even just, you know, we can have stress events occur when we're driving on the road and someone almost drives into us or, or, you know, runs a red light. That can trigger a stress response. It's not always necessarily something internally within us. But these, you know, when cortisol is produced, what we know the next step is, and especially when it's produced for prolonged periods, not just that really nice little tight flick of cortisol, what's been shown is people wind up with low magnesium. So they did a number of um, tests, and these were back from even the 1980s, where they found ex- uh, exposing people to stress would lead to magnesium depletion. So it does seem that the magnesium then leaves that intracellular space under the uh, action of cortisol and other certain hormones. It then winds up in the extracellular space. And of course, extracellular space means that those fluids are going to go um, return to circulation, get through the kidneys. And we know the kidneys are always going to filter out a percentage of magnesium. But what it means is we get stressed and then we start to lose magnesium. But then here's the kicker. Well, then what happens is once we have suboptimal magnesium levels, 
we know that the human body won't express serotonin receptors as well. So people will be prone to, I'll say, some level of almost mood disorder, or if they start to feel a bit flat, they'll feel flatter longer. They won't sort of have that resilience. We also know that lack of magnesium will decrease the expression of GABA-A receptors. So now your GABA receptors aren't working particularly well. Your serotonin receptors aren't working particularly well because we have suboptimal magnesium. And our NMDA receptors are more likely to be triggered. Now, when we have low GABA and low serotonin, these states are associated with feelings of stress and anxiety. But the worst thing is that the NMDA receptors can be activated uh, because we know magnesium will naturally um, antagonize it a little bit. And what happens though is when you're already anxious a little bit and then you have neuroexcitatory signals sent due to high amounts of glycine or glutamate, that worsens the anxiety. So what we see happen, and this is why my go-to is in fact magnesium, because it feels to me that if we can't break this cycle of people getting stressed, people getting anxious, peeing out their magnesium, being more prone to um, feeling anxious, being more prone to you know, producing more cortisol and having cortisol spikes and losing more magnesium, if we don't break this cycle, we are in real danger of never actually getting on top of where we need to um, for, for those patients. And, and, you know, I think we've all seen it where we might use specific substances, herbs, and go, I'm going to get a great result. But for some reason, it's worked well in five or six people, but it doesn't work in the next three or four. Have you seen that? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, whereas magnesium, it's really going to be coming in on that kind of biochemical level, like that real nexus of when we are literally talking about this type of fatigue, this stress-based fatigue, mm -hmm. it's like right at that intersection between both of them. Like it's working on the stress. We know it's involved mm -hmm. with energy production, um, but we know That's that stress right. will like worsen fatigue. And so, you know, it's just, yeah, it's really going to tick all of those boxes for that particular patient, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, so I would have to say for me, and there's great data, by the way, on, on, on say, stress and anxiety and, and you know, optimum, optimum magnesium levels. But I, I almost always want to use that as a bit of a go-to from fatigue because we know it helps with, as you just said, ATP production, et cetera, but it can break that stress cycle. And for me, very often, I think it's that stress cycle that, um, you know, really gets people feeling low. And what I think is really interesting is that, um, you know, we can talk about fatigue on its face value and just being tired. But, you know, I don't often hear my patients say, oh, I'm fatigued, my body is tired. And what I think they're talking about more, Claire, is it's a mental tiredness. It's, mm. it's a mental thing. And it's not just necessarily more sleep. It's that I'm tired, I can't focus, I can't be present for my for my family do you see that as well yeah I know exactly what you're talking about and I think it's definitely not the case for everyone but so many people have brain-based jobs mm -hmm. if that's how I can put it it's like we mm -hmm. live a more sedentary mm -hmm. lifestyle we're more mm -hmm. likely and though it's not the case for everyone to have you know an office-based job or, or where we're using our brains more so and so you're so right mm -hmm. in that like if I'm going to have 
I don't know if visceral is the right word, but like a visceral experience of my fatigue, I might more experience it as a mental fatigue. And it's like mm. this triad of like stress, fatigue, you know, I might feel tired, sluggish, hard to get out of bed in the morning, or low mm -hmm. energy, like we talked about at the start. But it's that mental exhaustion that accompanies that. And it's just this cycle, you know, stressful figure fatigue, fatigue mm -hmm. is not isolated to the periphery, to the body. If the oh. body is tired, the brain is included in that. You know, that's a mm. mental exhaustion as well. And it just, you know, can kind of have this loop. And it's very interesting to kind of start to have a look at what is actually happening in the brain. Like when we have mm. this continual triggering of the, um, the stress response, you know, sympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system, HPA axis, whether that mm -hmm. stress is real, perceived, physical, psychological, this whole mm -hmm. kind of cascade of things will start to happen where... Mm. In the brain, you know, this this dysregulation of cortisol, this continual presence of cortisol uh, from a mm -hmm. chronic perspective, it will start to reduce neurotrophic factors in the brain, like BDNF mm -hmm. being our classic one. And then yep. our neuroplasticity starts to take a dive, like mm -hmm. the production of new neurons, new neural pathways. But that's even the repair of scrappy, oxidated, damaged neurons, you know, which starts to happen when stress like you said, glutamate starts to pick up, it's neurotoxic, mm. like, you know, so if we're having a, a decrease in our BDNF, like we do not have the brain firing on all cylinders mm. by any means. Mm. Um, the hippocampus can start to shrink. Mm -hmm. You know, other brain regions like the amygdala can actually enlarge, but, uh, and that's mm. our fear center, as you may know. But the hippocampus, mm. that's a really key area for learning and for memory. Mm. And it's one of the main brain regions that stays incredibly plastic throughout a whole lifetime because, mm -hmm. you know, how important is it from the perspective of survival that we keep mm. learning from our environment and learning <laughs> from our mistakes and learning from the good yeah. things. Like um, the, the brain is very invested in that, but that actually starts to shrink, which mm. then has the knock-on effect of affecting our cognition, our learning, our memory. Mm. Um, we can start to develop insulin resistance when our, when our mm. cortisol is high. Um which can actually start to affect the pre prefrontal cortex. It can start to remodel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of our more um, developed or sophisticated part mm. of our brain. Like that's the bit that we developed mm. last as kind of homo sapiens. And it's the thing that like sits on top and it comes in when other areas of the brain might be freaking out, like in the limbic system, mm -hmm. being like, oh, my God, we're going to be late or I've got to do some, you know, public speaking mm -hmm. or what and and it comes in and it's like it rationalizes for us and it's like you know what yep. you're gonna be okay you're gonna get through mm -hmm. it we'll be all mm -hmm. right it's a stressful period like we'll hang in there for an extra week it's like that starts to become negatively impacted mm -hmm. as well that executive functioning and that working yes. memory mm -hmm. um so you know like any uh, just other common things like poor sleep mm -hmm. you know how much that will then start yeah. to the body can't repair the mitochondria mm -hmm. aren't working as mm -hmm. well. The huge mm -hmm. density of mitochondria that we have in neurons within the brain. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just a whole kind of gamut of things that start to happen that mm -hmm. exactly like you said at the start of, that, of, mm -hmm. of this bit, like stress, yes, physical fatigue, but like you said, we mm -hmm. hugely experience it as a mental cognitive fatigue as well and mm. it can make it a bit hard to kind of get through the day kind of because life oh, doesn't stop absolutely 
Uh, absolutely. And it, it is really interesting to know that, you know, it can affect some of those neurotrophic factors, you know, BDNF. And when, when we look at energy levels and a whole range of things, when you look at just general brain health, as you as you said, you know, healthy BDNF levels are, are really important. Mind you, it is one of the reasons, you know, I made that call at the outset that, you know, if I'm trying to break fatigue or bust people out of fatigue, I have to look at magnesium because we know magnesium is, is really, you know, has a beneficial effect on BDNF levels. You know, and I, I think it is really important. And, you know, magnesium, you, you mentioned sleep as well. And, of course, that's one of the cruel things, isn't it, that people start not sleeping very well or, sorry, they're tired, but then they can't get to sleep. And I, I think every yeah, practitioner has seen that. That's, that's unfortunately, that's not uncommon at all. Um, you know, but um, I, I guess the thing is, as I said, sure, I did speak of, you know, magnesium for that. We know magnesium can do some great things there, but, you know, so can exercise. And I know we often chat about this, you know, and, and I think the struggle is sometimes getting any exercise from a tired or stressed person. But mm -hmm. that's where I, I do think, you know, 15 minutes, 10-minute walk, you know, those sorts of mm -hmm. things can really, um, you know, bring on a difference for people. Are there other things that you sort of recommend or change? managed to change with your patient? Yeah, well, I think it's going up the top of that cascade, isn't it? Like the thing that's causing all of this is stress. So mm. like I just love to ask patients like what what is joyful for you? Like what's going to counteract mm. stress more than something that you love to do? We, we're going to make space for it in the week, you know, mm. and I try to really encompass um, like a green space or nature. Like where's that for you? Is it the mm. beach? Is it the is it the bush walk? Is it just even hanging out in your yard with your kids, which you've, you know, yeah. haven't been finding that time for? It's like, mm -hmm. all right, time is on, 10 minutes of running around in the backyard or I'm going for a walk. And it's like mm -hmm. let's try and work on the fatigue, get the ATP production happening, you know, but let's try and banish, like get some of that cortisol, burn through it with like a gentle walk mm. or something and and try and reset that cortisol or any you know adrenaline or you know other catecholamines that are kind of pulsing through the system by mm -hmm. doing some of those self-care things um mm. and just also making sure that the diet isn't mm -hmm. oh gosh like a high glycemic not eating breakfast mm. doing the coffee like which mm -hmm. like you said it's just the, the cruel thing of if you get stressed then you don't sleep etc it's like we get stressed we start to make <laughs> poor food choices that makes the body yeah. stressed like um so back to basics, I, I was like, gonna say I was, like yeah that's right easy to digest like protein fat rich like let's just Ooh. calm everything down well that that's the thing because you know I, I remember reading a uh you know just a paper on on the impacts of you know and i think we've seen it in many different pieces of research the impacts of fast food and what it does the way people think behave and feel and, and you know i absolutely mm. love your slow cooker suggestion because even if you're time poor, if you can make that choice and that decision, if you can get the five or six ingredients, put them in the pot, turn the pot on, you can come home to a pretty good meal that's actually going to have a whole range of benefits for you, probably have more magnesium in it from a dietary perspective yes. than you're going to get from the KFC box with the chips <laughs> and the brown chicken, you know. Um yeah. And, and they are those little things. But as you've rightfully said, you know, it, it is that time poor. And, 
you know, but when you can use slow cookers, yeah, maybe you can throw things in a slow cooker and then run around outside, go to work, do, yes, do whatever you need. That gives to. you and 10 minutes. Yes. That's it. That's it. Um, you know, I I will say I do find, you know, sometimes issues, I'm not saying I don't think people should do it, but sometimes, you know, the idea of meditation for really fatigued people, I don't know if you've found this, they just fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) This is my time to have a little nap. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Which probably, well, not probably, is still obviously good for stress levels, you know, and I guess if people need to have those I'll call micro sleeps or naps, at least giving them, mm. they're not doing it in the car. They're stopping. Yeah. They're saying, I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes or, or whatever, you know. Um, mm. But, yes, yeah, so I, I think there's a number of different things we can do. But come on, mm. let's be honest. When did you laugh, last have a patient who came and said, I just want you to tell me a few lifestyle things I can do? Um, <laughs> you know, patients tend to like, I'll say, tablets or therapies. Are there mm-hmm. any herbs or, or, or other nutrients? I mean, we've talked about magnesium and established why it is fundamental. What else would you consider using for patients who might be, you know, fatigued? And I guess for that that mental tiredness and that mental fatigue, is, is there any sort of go-tos mm-hmm. you would have or considerations? I think herbs are just so great for this because mm. – we have so many herbs that are at that intersection of I will give you an adaptogenic, stress-relieving, mm-hmm. resilience-building effect, mm-hmm. but I will help you be alert. Like I will help mm-hmm. you be calm, but I will help you mm-hmm. be alert at the same time. Mm-hmm. I will help you focus. Yep. I will help you cognition. And, um, you know, that's like just, I don't know, the best to me, like that you can have mm-hmm. these two in other modalities that would be considered maybe opposite or counterintuitive things, like a one herb, mm. it'll do both for you, you know, at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like a really interesting herb for me for that perspective is galangal, the an extra right. um, extract, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. that, you know, it's nootropic, it's, it's helping with brain function, cognition, improving mm-hmm. mental alertness, but it mm-hmm. also, you know, evidence-based will in, increase that calm you know, just kind of like, I'm here, I'm not stressed, mm-hmm. I'm calm, my system is calm, I'm relieving my mm-hmm. stress, but I'm focused and I'm alert. Mm-hmm. And and that beautiful evidence that uh, that an extra extract has on mm-hmm. comparing it to caffeine about how, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, it doesn't have that crash that comes with caffeine mm-hmm. and just how many people mm-hmm. are leaning on caffeine in all of its various mm-hmm. forms to get through the day and to get oh, through yeah. their to-do list. If we can be offering mm. patients something that offers that alertness over a sustained period of time without having that crash, like that is a real mm. game changer, really, from a from a herbal perspective. De- definitely, and uh, mm. you know, I think we all know pa- the vast majority of patients, not all patients, the vast majority of patients would prefer a plant based extract as opposed to a pharmaceutical tablet um it's interesting though because i often do think and and you know it feels like this is such a i'll call it modern thing you know we're so stressed and you know it affects the way we think and feel and oh no it leaves us feeling tired but then from another herbal perspective i love things like ginkgo and and one of the reasons i say it's almost ironic is we are dealing with such an ancient tree and such an ancient 
plant. And, and, and the way I sort of see it, always I, I see for some reason ginkgo in some kind of serene setting. And, yes. and I think really amazing because, you know, for thousands of years it's been known to improve mental alertness. It's been known to be somewhat anxiolytic, to improve mood, but really to enhance that cerebral blood flow and oxygen supply. You know, we spoke of brain-derived neurotrophic factor and it can increase that. It has, you know, some of those wonderful, um, you know, plant-based uh, chemicals in there that, you know, can uh, act as antioxidants. It's even been shown in some research, you know, help with cognitive function in people with Alzheimer's disease, you know, improves attention, um, improves mood, sleep, um, you, you know, and, and that executive sort of function and processing that we were saying. So many people live in realms or jobs now where that that's got to be going all the time so you know mm. i i really do think you know ironic that it's such an old plant from a time when it seemed like the world people weren't stressed in the world um <laughs> you know I, I see it now in these lovely you know asian gardens and things and that's how i sort of see yeah. the world today. but that ginkgo yeah. so old can have so many uh, benefits and I, I guess therefore combining it with things such as the galangal extract um you know it, it is possibly one way to really help lift people's you know ability to think and process mm. and i think it's so that point that you make about it being like such an old and ancient plant and that we then most commonly perhaps in the couple of decades previous to this used it more commonly in elderly people with things mm. like alzheimer's disease but mm -hmm. we're kind of starting to see like it still has its place in modern life it mm -hmm. still definitely has its role in younger brains because that issue mm -hmm. with alertness and cognition and memory like mm -hmm. it's becoming such a, a like a thing that so many people are wanting to work mm -hmm. on you know, due to this mm. kind of world that we find ourselves in. So, yes, I love ginkgo as well and just how it can kind of increase that cerebral blood flow and just really bathe that brain in, like, more oxygen, more nutrients, like just deliver all those mitochondria in there, all the things that they need mm -hmm. to do their job to get, you know, to get that brain function happening. Um, mm. But mm. then this takes me to the opposite end of the age spectrum, which is something like Bacopa, because it then right. has evidence for uh like children and adolescents like this is the one right. that i remember when i was learning about you know this is the one to give teenagers when they're studying for exams or before they mm -hmm. head into but you know i think this just shows us that every herb can have something to offer almost mm. every age group really um because mm. it can enhance mm. cerebral blood flow too mm. and it's kind of a, a bit of a nice adaptogen as well like i, I think i've mm. said on this podcast before I um, always remember a herbalist friend talking about the cobra about how like if someone's too anxious, it'll kind of take them from their head down into their body. And if mm -hmm. they're a bit too like sluggish and fatigued, it will kind of lift the energy up into the head to kind of improve that alertness mm -hmm. and that focus. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's such a lovely example of how herbs are kind of tailor themselves to what the patient needs. Like it has that nice nervine capacity in that mm -hmm. it will help to calm sympathetic nervous system but it will help to improve like concentration and cognition and, and focus as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Look, you know, a herb that I probably studied a fair bit and used a lot, I think when I, I sort of graduated from college as such, um, was the uh, Gotu Cola. And that, you know, 
And that was, it's adaptogenic effects. I, I wouldn't regard it as an adaptogen quite the, I'll say, strength that people often talk about things like with Thania maybe. Um, but it's absolutely adaptogenic. It's a great nervine tonic. And I used it very often for those people who um, had issues with poor memory. They're a bit anxious. They're a bit kind of like, I don't know, they're stressed and scatty, if that makes any sense. And, and, and tired, stressed, scatty, tired. And I often found that that in combination with some other herbs would, uh, you, you know, would, would work quite well. So I, I still rate Gotu Cola. I think it's not as popular as it was 30 years ago. But let's be honest, herbs do have their varying levels of popularity and they talk about it for a while, then not talk about it for a while, then this is the new thing and then that's the next new thing. Um, but you know, and, and then though, the only other thing I do want to say when we are talking about this cognitive function and these issues that people might be having with cognitive function is I do think it's important to look at, um, other adaptogens and that's why Gotu Cola I think is important, but I do think there's really good data on rhodiola and I, I know that there's, you know, a lot of practitioners have become aware of rhodiola, but I would want to use rhodiola in those cases, it, you know, there's data on it for improving mental fatigue and cognition, reducing symptoms of stress, having anti-inflammatory effects, which I think is really Im important, and just reducing stress-induced fatigue. And I think what we're talking about a lot now is people that have stress-induced fatigue. And, and that's what today is about. How do we get them to go from fatigue to flourishing and, and, and you know I, I i think we need i think we need that real spread of herbs you know i i do love nothing better than finding that one herb for that one person but somehow in these cases i don't know if just giving them a good quality magnesium and a single herb is enough i think we might need to actually give them a bit more than just that I love um I love Rodiola for this picture exactly like you said because I'm trying to remember on the spot here but you know if you read the papers that are done on Rodiola I'm pretty mm. sure it's either doctors mm. it's doctors or nurses or med students mm. aka very stressed people very busy mm -hmm. people and, and, mm -hmm. and giving them rhodiola as an intervention. So, you know, people that yeah. identify as having like workplace-related stress, um, mm -hmm. you know, or just mm -hmm. like stress, chronic stress, you know, in their general life, largely due to their mm -hmm. job. Um, and then feeling fatigued in response mm -hmm. to that and then giving rhodiola as an invention, intervention and seeing all of those parameters improve. So I really mm -hmm. agree with you that, um, you know, if you have things more like Yikinko or your Brahmi, then it may be having that kind of nervine effect but have that quite um cerebral brain focus like rhodiola is one specific herb that has evidence on like the exact mm. thing that we're talking about here today so i definitely agree yeah. with you there yeah but but as i said <laughs> my experience is that you know there's a varying levels of complexity with with people presenting with these levels of fatigue and especially that cognitive fatigue and that i think it really is you know, and it's why herbalists often make their own herbals, you know, is because you can then mm. tailor it. But I do think that, you know, those herbs that we've been talking about are ones I'd absolutely always uh, look at. Um, and as I said, you know, the data is there. 
combining mm-hmm. magnesium with this. And, and I do wonder if you could have people, you know, I have, I don't think there's a data on it, where you find people truly magnesium deficient, suffering from stress, suffering from fatigue, and what do these herbs do? But, you know, I think we mm-hmm. all know as practitioners, if you do not have enough of something that's going to be a crucial cofactor in over, you know, 500 enzymatic pathways, you can give all the best herbs, but you might not actually, you know, the body isn't capable of healing because it's still mm. missing one of those key things that it really needs. Yeah, yeah. Magnesium is definitely that thing that will move the needle for a lot of people. Stress in the day, mm. sleep at night, it's just, yeah, very, very needed to pair with those herbs. I agree. Absolutely. Claire, congratulations. I'll pat you on the back. I think we might have actually covered how to go from fatigue to flourishing. <laughs> I know there's a lot, of, a lot of nuances. I know there's a lot of things we haven't quite covered, but this is a relatively short podcast. We really wanted to be able to bring some key messages to people so they could consider what they might need to do for those patients that sit across from them and to consider, is this person saying I'm tired and what does that mean? Is it a mental mm. fatigue? Is it triggered mm. by stress? And then what people can do for that. So so well done, Claire. I, I, I think oh. we've uh, absolutely ticked the box today. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be a new slogan, Paul. When you walk on to present, you can be like, hi, I'm Paul from Fatigue to Flourishing. Let me take you That's there. Right. <laughs> let, let me take you there. In 20 minutes or thereabouts. Yeah. <laughs> but look unfortunately that is all we do have time for in this podcast remember to keep an eye out for more podcasts where claire and myself will take a deeper look at topics that relate to both natural health industry itself and of course in this one some different medicines that can have a positive impact on people's health thank you so much claire thank you very much paul as always and thank you for listening take care everyone goodbye Bye for now.